you've been paying attention, you know the global economy is transforming. The BRICS nations want to see the end of the dollar reserve currency, and many countries are joining their effort. The Western banking system is the most fragile it's been since 2008. The highly respected Weiss Research Group accurately provided advance warning on which banks are going to fail with 99.3% accuracy after the 2008 crisis. They are now predicting that a whopping 4,243 banks are vulnerable to failure, and 1,210 of those banks face imminent failure. When this situation comes to pass, it will dwarf the 2008 banking crisis. The only asset that has historically weathered a storm this severe has been precious metals. It has never been a better time to buy gold and silver to protect your family. Contact Miles Franklin at info at milesfranklin.com. Tell them Sarah sent me and you will get the best service and the best prices on gold and silver in the country. That is a guarantee from them to me. Remember, info at milesfranklin.com. Tell them Sarah sent me. Do this now to protect your assets and the ones you love. What did you think about the people, the soldiers? I and mean, there are still people stuck there, right? When we should keep pulled out of Afghanistan. I was uh, I was advocating to get out of Afghanistan while, while Trump was still in office and Trump was still you know, at that time, very much considering a full scale exit. And he had a plan that he was working on to do that. And I do think it's one of his biggest regrets uh, for not doing that, because we kind of all saw this coming. There's a lot more to the handover of Afghanistan that I'm going to get into here. I mean, there's all types of mining deals with China. There's all there's all kinds of reasons for why this thing had to happen when it did. And it just is very sad that what, what what makes me really sad is the morale of our veterans that have given their lives, their limbs, their best friends at times, um, and don't really have a clear understanding of of why that ended the way it did, why the the advancements, the schools that were built, the, the things that you know we bled for, and the freedoms that we were fighting for, all kind of got abandoned. And I, I do think there's a a, a soul searching part of every veteran right now that was involved directly in Afghanistan kind of asking very hard questions right now about that. Welcome to Business Game Changers. I'm Sarah Westall. I have David Lopez coming to the program. He is an amazing individual. He, I am told by multiple people that he is taking down more pedophiles and human traffickers, child traffickers than anyone in the country right now, an average of one a day. He's just this amazing person really focused on taking down these perpetrators. And he actually ran the Nazareth Fund for Glenn Beck. And so he's really known in this region. People really look up to him. And he was also uh, covering the Afghanistan and in that region. And we'll talk about what happened when they pulled out of Afghanistan and all the things that went on there. He's going to give you some insight there. But we also talk about Dr. Zelenko. He created a partnership with Dr. Zelenko before he died. Zelenko really wanted to end human trafficking, child trafficking, and this, this blight on our society. And so what they did is... They're donating 5% of all their sales of the ZSTAT kids to help with Mission Safe Harbor, which educates local police forces on how to deal with the human traffickers and, all, and it helps fund operations. So if you're looking for something really great to keep your kids from getting the flu or getting COVID, for crying out loud, COVID this season, look at the kids ZSTAT because you know by Buying that, you'll be protecting your kids 
and help to fund the end of human trafficking or child trafficking. And so that being said, let's get into this really good conversation that I have with David Lopez. Hi, David. I'm so glad you finally joined the program. Sarah, thank you so much for having me on. I really, I'm glad we finally got here. Yeah, we tried, but we got here. I have been, you know, Paul Hutchinson, who has, you know, he's the, one of the producers or executive producer on the Sound of Freedom. He said to you, Sarah, this is a guy you need to talk to. And he says that you do missions on a daily basis, saving kids. And probably there's nobody at this moment who does more than you. That's what he said about you. Wow. So he that, he, that, he thinks very highly of you. That's a, what a compliment. I've known Paul now for um, about seven years. The thing about Paul, I'll throw, I'll throw a compliment back his way. You know, when I first met Paul, it was under, um, some of the work I was doing with at the time Operation Underground Railroad. And we met in Columbia on a mission, you know, that ended up becoming the basis for a movie um, that just came out called Sound of Freedom. And so I was, you know, one of the teams operating in Medellin, um, working on that operation. And that was actually my eye-opening moment where I saw how big the problem was, was on on that actual mission. And what was so interesting about that scenario was when I met Paul, he, Paul was working a different part of the country because it was a three-city sting in one day. I was in Medellin, and he, I believe he was in Cartagena. And um, I met Paul afterwards and finally got to know him. And I was just blown away that someone that has been this successful in life, obviously he's built a lot of really big companies. And here he is, not just giving and getting other people to give to this you know, uh, effort, but actually going out and doing the work himself and actually using his own skill sets to go try to help the situation. I thought, I, I never seen anything like that. It was an inspiring thing for me to see someone at, especially at the level of life he was at, choosing to give his time to go do this. It was phenomenal. Well, I think that people who really dive into that darkness realize that money and success and all these other things don't mean a lot if you don't do good things along the way, right? I mean, what is all this? Yeah, what does all this mean if you're not actually making a difference? No, and and I think that's, Paul is is a, a glaring case of that. Someone that has in many ways uh, accomplished uh, from a business standpoint or financial standpoint, everything he wanted to do. And there was still something missing uh, in his life that that drew him to this. And he's very open and transparent about that. And, um, and uh, in a similar fashion, you know, not just people like him. Um, the thing that I saw was so fascinating is the attention that this was getting by other veterans um, veterans that, you know, are coming out of the military, kind of in that struggling scenario of what do I do now? I mean, what, where do my skill sets now, especially, especially veterans that were more in combat theater roles and stuff like that. So how do you transition? Do you go get a security job? Do you go do contracting work? And so this is just something that attracts people. It's such a clear thing. It's such a clear white and black issue that we can all agree that this is something we should put down all of our barriers that we have, whether, they, whether they're political or religious, whatever those things are, they all kind of fall away for this issue. And everyone just kind of for once gets to work together. And that was the really cool part of, of this whole mission and kind of seeing the magnetism that that creates towards good hearted people that, that want, that come from all walks of life and, and, and veterans included. Well, and I think let's get to that because I think people were a little bit um, taken aback because there's some not so good things with a couple of the organizations organizations affiliated with 
the film. And I think it yeah. frustrates people because, and I think you're one of them because it, it doesn't reflect on everybody who's trying. Obviously there's a lot of people yeah. who really are well-meaning trying to do the right thing here. And that stain on this is, is frustrating. Can you talk a little bit? Cause I know you yeah, yeah, learned I can. about I, it and pulled yourself away from it pretty early on. Yeah. I, I, um, you know, the short story here is I, let me just adjust my camera here. So I have a better picture. Um, the short story here for me is there was a season where um, a number of things started to happen that I just didn't want to be a part of anymore in the organization. We were raising a lot of money and very little of that money was actually going to some of the things that were previously going to operations. Right. So from just a, an operational guy it was a very frustrating season and and this is a season that was kind of a three-year-long season um that they got into and eventually i just you know had to move on i met some of the most amazing people working there there was some amazing things that happened especially in the early days of that organization's lifespan and actually i think what i've heard now is you know there, there's been certain changes at the organization and i believe there's actually a lot of operations being done now that are uh, around the world as, as it used to be. So I, I don't want to speak too much about uh, where they're at now. Cause it sounds like there's an actual major, you know, reversals happening over there. There's been a lot of personnel changes over there. Um, and I think it has a lot of potential now, but it's been one of those, it's, it, it was a frustrating thing. And it was kind of the reason why I decided to, you know, kind of remove myself from, the organization, I think about five years ago and start building companies because my thought was I want to build companies that can fund the mission and do this and not really be reliant on um, just donors or anyone else. I want to, I, I always want to, you know, be, you know, do outreach to donors and allow people to participate, but I don't want to have this sense that, you know, an organization can grow so large and then, you know, enough lawyers get around the table where they start saying, well, we don't need to do as many operations. Maybe we just do more storytelling. Maybe we just do more outreach, prevention, awareness, and maybe we kind of shift to that. And that normally, you know, whenever you build a big organization that, you know, more lawyers get around the table and people decide to. Why do the um, lawyers do that? I mean, why are lawyers, they go to law school. What makes them, what makes them business savvy? What makes them life savvy? Just because they went to freaking law school. I mean, most business people I know are like, ah, the lawyer tell, does what we tell them, let they don't get to tell us what to do, but go ahead. I think it's, I think it's the, you know, whenever there's an explosion of financial capital into a thing, there becomes there ends up forming a hierarchy and there ends up, uh, you know, many times there becomes a prevailing narrative, which is how do we protect what we just brought in as opposed to how do we keep doing what got her here? And so it just depends on, you know, different groups, you know, focus and how much they decide to listen to certain voices. And I think there was a, a negative season there and I think they've gotten through it, but it was a, it was a challenging thing. And it's not it's not unique to one organization. I think this happens. I, we've all heard stories of other major, major large nonprofits that grow so big. And then we find out a certain, you know, executives were being compensated at this level and all these things are happening. And well, there's they, happening they're on compromised, the right? They were yeah. compromised. And that yeah. creates 
that's why you need to get rid of them because at some point some of these people it's infiltration now we're in your opinion were some of these compromised people um compromised by bad guys i mean they were purposely compromising them because they wanted to keep them off the trail i think more of i think more of this is about um ambition and narrative control and segueing into politics and segueing into other things. I think more of this was about just a, a handful of people that decided to guide in a certain direction um, with a legal structure kind of affirming that direction. I, I, I don't think this was a, a deep rooted, you know, infiltration. I think this is the normal kind of human greed control um, impulse that happens in a lot of organizations. That's so. If if you really want to say that it's maybe an infiltration by a negative spirit, but not necessarily people. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's more. I think that's a fair characterization of of what I think happened. And if, if there was more than that, I'm not aware of it. I I decided to, uh, you know, I, I also was the director of operations for the Nazarene Fund, Glenn Beck's organization, and um, worked with an amazing guy, um, Rudy Atala. And man, the, the work that his group did, um, White Mountain Research, they're amazing. But um, throughout the ISIS expansion into Iraq and Syria, they were actively, you know, rescuing Christians, Yazidis out of Iraq and yeah. Syria for three years. It was a phenomenal phenomenal uh project to be a part of and over i think 200 uh isis sex slaves oh, people that were being packed around to generals yeah. and it was just a it was a phenomenal experience so i mean i have so many positive experiences that the, the negative ones were kind of you know just things that i attribute to personnel and and direction and change of focus and narrative control and how are those th you know it's it's more about establishing a brand of, of a person or a single identity than the actual mission. Well, isn't it, um, you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You throw out That's the right. bathwater, but keep the baby and let's stay focused. And it's like anything else in life and every single institution has issues. And so that doesn't mean these missions aren't important. It doesn't mean the goal of eradicating this isn't important. I mean, come on guys. Right let's let's keep going let's find the good let's get rid of the bad let's stop all this greed and let's focus let's talk a little bit about some of your missions you worked with glenn beck's organization too and you said you just were in dealing with isis and saving people because christians are really persecuted and we're the christians are the most persecuted group around the world well yeah it was a really it was a really sad time for much of the western world um, when, when people were being taken out of Iraq and Syria, and when there was a lot of refugees, there was a lot of countries that were denying access of Christians at, in large scale, right? Um, it was a really bizarre thing. And, and the U.S. really didn't do a lot at that time with this issue. I mean, there was a lot of refugees brought in of other uh, religious persuasions, but there was a real limit, it, it seemed like, on, on Christians themselves. There were th other countries that really rose in those moments, I mean, uh, Australia ended up taking, I think it was over like 15 to 20,000 just themselves of just Christian, you know, 
Wow. Um, refugees. So there were there were countries that stepped up and other countries in, uh, uh, along with Australia. But it was kind of an interesting time where certain people were getting easier, um, easier acceptance by other governments to come there and, and some weren't. And so and I just thought that was a bizarre thing to scrutinize people's, you know, ethnicity or religious persuasion for 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 refugee status. It was That's kind right. of crazy. What did you see with the United States? Well, there there didn't seem to be a healthy appetite for bringing a, a ton of, you know, a lot of Christian, you know, um, people from Iraq and Syria out. And there was definitely an appetite for other religions and other people, but it just wasn't really uh, an equal footing um, with it was pretty lopsided. And so and that was the same with a lot of governments. So I, I don't know why those dynamics happen or how, but it just became a really big issue. And so we just had to find the countries that were willing to, and and that's what we did. What did you think about the people, the soldiers? I mean, there are still people stuck there, right? When we should, came, pulled out of Afghanistan. What did you think of that? And what is what are your thoughts on that? Well, um, I was, you know, I was advocating strongly with uh, friends of mine and business partners of mine and I was I was advocating to get out of Afghanistan while while Trump was still in office and Trump was still you know at that time very much considering a full-scale exit and he had a plan that he was working on to do that and I do think it's one of his biggest regrets uh, for not doing that because we kind of all saw this coming um there's you know there's a lot more to the handover of Afghanistan that I'm gonna get into here I mean there's all types of mining deals with China. There's all there's all kinds of reasons for why this thing had to happen when it did. And it just is very sad that what 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 makes me really sad is the morale of our veterans that have given their lives, their limbs, their best friends at times, um, and don't really have a clear understanding of of why that ended the way it did, why the the advancements, the schools that were built, the the things that you know we bled for, the freedoms that we were fighting for, all kind of got abandoned. And I, I do think there's a uh, a soul searching part of every veteran right now that was involved directly in Afghanistan, kind of asking very hard questions right now about that. I was at a restaurant, we were having breakfast and our waitress was from Afghanistan. This was like two days into the, the ordeal or two days after we actually shut things down and you see the baby being thrown over the fence and stuff. This was like two days later. And she was saying that her family and she's been communicating with her family. I think her, her mother or father were still there and a lot of the siblings were out and they were all trying to get them out. And she said that it was a killing field. Like literally there were people dead all over her neighborhood and things. And that it was just, she called it a killing field. Did you hear yeah. that? Is I mean, that was, just I heard, I heard a lot of, I heard a lot of similar stories and, it's, I mean, look, the, the Taliban was waiting for a long time for us to get out of there and projecting our withdrawal in a manner that we did only allowed them to buy their time until that moment happened. And, you know, all of us kind of predicted what that would end up being for the people that were allies. Can you imagine, can you imagine being in a country where, you know, you know, the Taliban that you don't want to align with, you don't really, I mean, the Taliban had very low credibility amongst the average afghan when we were first going in there and by the time we left the taliban was a necessary evil in many people's minds to help get the intruders out right so there was a pacifying moment 
of the Taliban that helped them gain recruits because they were the only people standing up in their from their country's perspective to get the invaders out. And you guys, and so, were the, the U.S. was the yeah, and, and in their in their from their perspective, look, they're we're we're fulfilling you know we're fulfilling a, a narrative that it looks like a uh, an ancient crusade in their minds, right? Understand these are just average people that don't know the politics between the U.S.'s stance on the war on terror. They don't understand it. I mean, that's not their prerogative. So all they see is this is in their minds defensive and the only ones in their minds doing something about it. You know, that's where the Taliban was able to galvanize a lot of support, particularly when we brought in the larger forces um, into Afghanistan, the the larger 100,000 plus forces. That that's what what prompted that. And so. The sad part about Afghanistan is that the Taliban was actually largely run out of the country in many ways in the first two years just by having a handful of people in there using air assets and working with the locals on the ground. And it was a very cohesive plan and it worked. And, um, you know, we were advocating to go back to that model with less troops on the ground, more assistance with the tribes who already had a stake against uh, the Taliban already wanted them out. And it's just frustrating. We we did a lot of things that I, in my mind don't make sense. And I think we still need answers for them. And I think our soldiers all need answers for what was, why these decisions were made. And um, I hope we get them sometime, someday. Many of you remember Dr. Zelenko, the courageous doctor who saved countless lives using hydroxychloroquine during the pandemic. Dr. Z not only saved lives in the United States, but many countries adopted his protocols and he saved even more lives around the world. Since those early days, him and his team at ZStack developed an entire line of immunity building supplements from Z Detox to Z Shield to Z Night. Now they also have Kids ZStack. It's the same as the adult ZStack, but formulated to protect kids from the onslaught they will see this cold and flu season. What many don't know about Dr. Z was his passion to end child trafficking. Before he passed away, he partnered with Mission Safe Harbor, and now a portion of every sale of Kids Z-Stack is donated to help end child trafficking. Now you can protect your kids while also helping to protect kids everywhere. Buy using the link below or go to sarahwessel.com under shop. Know you are protecting your entire family while also helping to end child trafficking. Well, I don't, I think the Biden administration just, doesn't show uh, any bit of respect for the people who have been involved. And I think that's how people feel a complete lack of respect for the allies, a re- lack of respect for soldiers, just a lack of respect. The way they did it. I mean, even if they needed to get out, they didn't need to do it like that. Now, um, they, they, they really, I, I think, I think there's a lot of damage that's been done to the veteran community. And I think there's just a lot of answers we need to get to the bottom of when, if, or when, you know, things change and politically we need we need answers and we need to always make sure our veterans understand exactly why they're doing what they're doing and exactly what the goals are. And, um, you know, it's their, it's their their lives being put on the line. You know, I think we owe it That's to them right. to have at least a general sense of clarity as to what they're doing and why they're doing it and why they're why we're not That's doing right. something, why we're exiting a thing, you know, so. Um, yeah, well, and. And the allies that you allowed to be slaughtered, not you, but they allowed to be slaughtered. I mean, now you have a whole country that really doesn't trust the United States. Yeah, I I mean, and that's not really a new thing. I think people are 
and that's partly the problem is that's kind of the MO over the last 20 years or more. You know, there's not a lot of trust that we can garner on the ground now. And this, this of course, is just a glaring example of why not to trust the U.S. government um, if you're a foreign country working with us. And so I, I don't know how we recover from that, and I don't know how we build goodwill with other partners in other countries that we do have strategic alliances with. I, I don't know how we get past that. So it's uh, it's going to be a, a definitely a challenge for whoever comes in office next. Jeez. Well, that kind of blunder really you can't overcome, I don't think. And you can have somebody trustworthy come in next, but they just are like, well, you're going to leave in four years anyways. So how can I trust doing anything significant? That's right. That's right. It's, um, I don't have the, I don't have a a nice cozy answer for how that's going to end up. And I, I really hope, and this is partly why, you know, that, that disillusionment for veterans is, you know, the human trafficking initiative is such an amazing mission where all these types of issues kind of fall by the wayside, at least for a second. And we allow ourselves just to focus on something that we know is good, that we know is true, that we know is going to help. And I, I think that's, that's the, that's kind of one of the subtle benefits of this terrible, terrible scourge that's happening around the world and the abuse of children is the rallying of veterans and giving a purpose again to do something and work with law enforcement and work with other governments and do meaningful work again. I think that's, that's the thing that I see that's most needed now for veterans. And there's few things at all that rise to that occasion. Everyone knows that saving a child from the most horrific thing possible is the right thing to do. And if you don't know it's the right, not the right thing to do, then there's something seriously wrong with you. I, Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And a lot of times when when we're going down this road and veterans are are trying to make their transition, the biggest problem that they have, and I think it's an understated thing, I think most people are aware that veterans struggle with certain things like PTSD and other other traumatic, you know, trauma-related issues that do linger on. But another really big problem and more pervasive, I would say, problem is just a simple feeling of depression when you leave your only community, your only sense of real connection, brotherhood, sisterhood, your identity in a sense, and your purpose. And you kind of go into a new world where you don't really know how to redefine that. And I think that's just a struggle for for almost every veteran in different ways. And that plays out into a lot of different things like depression and adds to substance abuse and, and other issues that end up coming, you know, ways of masking that. So I, I kind of, you know, it, it's weird. I mean, as terrible as this issue is, the amount of unity that I'm seeing amongst veterans in, in, in order to rise up to stop it and former law enforcement as well, it's just it makes it it makes it worth doing, right? Because it's kind of a topic that you don't want to look at the dark side a lot because it's just a heavy topic, right? No one wants to think about children being harmed at mass scale, you know, around the world. No one wants to think about that. So I like to, you know, for me, I, I it's the win in this is focusing on the lives that are being changed that are actually standing up to do something about it, as well as the lives that are being saved by that, you know, by that work. So to me, that's that's what makes it all worth doing. How big of a dent are we making in actually taking down 
the heads of the snake of this network? Because I know that we have a lot of work to deal with the the cultural demand, right? I mean, that's that's one side of this equation that's really ugly. But there's these heads of these organizations, trafficking organizations that are pretty powerful in different countries and, you know, every country in the world. And it's infiltrated in, you know, for God's sake, our border has human trafficking going on. It's a huge problem with what's going on right now. We do know that without naming any names, we know that powerful people in our government, in organ corporations are involved. Anytime you've got a multi-billion dollar black industry, you have powerful people involved, period, end of story. How are we good? Are we, are, are we making any progress at starting to chip away at that? You know, there's so many different facets to this topic. And there's, there's a lot of things around this topic that aren't necessarily things that are, are proven at mass scale and things that are not. And so let's tackle a couple of them. The first one is the majority of people and the, more, the majority of children that are abused are actually abused by people close to them and close to knowing them like the vast majority. And that's a, that's a thing that I don't think most people understand. And I don't want to diminish the fact that there are larger organizations doing this because there are. I'm just trying to let people know that the majority of times it's by someone that has a, uh, a, a deep knowledge of the child, someone that knows them. It could be a family member. It could be a Boy Scout leader. It could be a church member. It could be someone that has regular direct access to the child. Um, and that, that is just a thing that we have to be more hyper aware of because, the, you know, while we're looking for the larger network, you know, thing out there, we're going to miss the actual more likely scenario, right? Which is that we're not being vigilant around the people that have direct access to our children and that we're not scrutinizing those positions in a healthy way, not in a condemning way, but we have to scrutinize positions and make sure there's basic background checks on on those positions and, yep. and make sure everyone's thinking that way that's number one um there is there is more organized factions of this and and those are what get most of the attention and i think the epstein issue is is something that caused a large amount of interest in this because it's one of those cases where clearly there were some intelligence organizations from around the world working to basically use children to get world leaders compromised. Yeah, blackmail uh, thing. And, and I, I, I had just, a, I think I told you this, I had James Rothstein on, Jimmy Boots, Detective Rothstein on my show, who has taken down more people in his day. Maybe he's a, you're a modern day him, but he took a lot of CIA people down and was really tied into that. And that's where I learned that so many officials and people who are powerful are compromised. And this is one of their main methods of doing it. And Epstein, he told me the day Epstein was killed, I was, I was going to his house to do an interview. And he told me, Sarah, that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's, this is how they do it. What are your thoughts on that? I know you started talking about it, but I wanted to know because now, now it's not the most, one more thing, it's not what you said about the most where most people are molested or in their home where their the childs are abused that's super important 
But this is important because the powerful people that run our country and world are involved. If people think that sacrificing the sacrificing the innocent nature of children in order to gain intelligence is a moral way or a, an appropriate way to gain an advantage, then they've lost the entire point of what intelligence gathering is. That's right. Which That's right. Protect your, is to protect your citizens. So there's a major moral question that needs to be had with certain different groups. And I don't know, that to me is a long way of being undone. I don't have any way of trying to give you some type of positive time frame on that soul searching moment happening at those levels. It, we have a lot of work to do, don't we? And But do you think that changing the culture at the local levels of at least getting it so that the majority of the children are not abused locally and our culture changes, that that will also change at a higher level we don't want to redirect the blame and we know that's happening we need to change it but you think that changing culturally will help put pressure to change that i mean i don't i Go ahead. i think i think the more our country the more any country in our population becomes um more involved in this issue and um I think right now it's just an issue that's hard for people to want to digest. And it's easier to just to think that it's all a conspiracy. And there are some conspiracies out there that add other things to this. And there's things that are true and are not true. So people need to be very wise and think through the things that they're looking into. But there is a major, major problem. And it we need to, I think apathy is our biggest is our biggest problem right now. And the apathetic feeling that most people have that even if I do think about this issue, what can I do? Right. I do think the best way, I don't think we're going to see a change come from the top down. I think this has to be something that culturally happens with us as a society where we, you know, we force the narrative, we force change at our, even at our legislation, at our legislative processes for what, how do we prosecute these criminals? How do we, you know, right now we're releasing, you know, sexual predators back into the wild and we know they're going to have multiple repeat offenses. And we know that statistically, but we do it anyway. And I don't know what the full answer to that is, but does that sound like a system? You know, I think, does that sound fair? I mean, full well knowing that, you know, more children are going to be harmed. You know, we, we tag someone and put them on a pedophile registry. And then they go back out. But we say we tag them because we know that they're likely going to do it again. I mean, that's just an insane. So there needs to be a lobbying effort and a population backed lobbying effort to change those laws. That would go a long way to to helping us clean up our own streets and our own backyards. That's well, a heavy lift. And it takes... Well, they're changing laws to normalize pedophilia. I mean, we're, we're fighting that. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't look like the tide is going you know, in the right direction right now. I mean, it, um, I, I hope that more mass awareness and I, you know, I think the only problem with mass awareness is people are gravitating to all kinds of theories and there's very, very real examples of really high level people being involved in this. And there's, you know, there's real ones in Hollywood. There's fake ones in Hollywood. 
there's real ones about governments and there's fake ones about governments. And I think there's a counter narrative that's trying to confuse what's real and what's not with the end goal of basically causing everyone to think, oh, this is just a conspiracy theory. That's right. right. That It's to blow it off as a joke. And, and make and kind of throw it into the lens of just absurdity. Right. It's all that's just way too absurd. And and so I think we need to be very di- diligent about the things that we're vetting, the things that we're listening to. Um, you know, I get calls all the time. I got calls um, when there was I think there was a ship stuck in the Suez Canal. And everyone was calling me saying, I just heard that that ship is full of containers full of children and all the children are you know being harvested and that there's navy seals secretly working behind the scenes to to get them out and i'm like no not, none of that's true none of that's happening um we we just have to be careful because i do think there is discrediting narratives that are trying to basically um confuse the population on what's real and what's not and who's i don't know who's that? behind that i don't know I, I, I mean, are I the people wanna... who are, I know, but I'm like, well, I know, but are the people who usually somebody does it because they benefit from it, I, but well, yeah. you know, people and, and are it, crazy enough. Well, they'll do stuff just because they think it's fun. I have my own, I, I have my own suspicions. I have my own suspicions, but I mean, I, obviously I do think whoever is, is actually doing that is benefiting from that narrative being uh, confusing and that narrative being seen as bizarre and that narrative being seen as hokey so i'll say it that way but i i i do think that that i mean we can be a part of that solution though i mean um it's so easy to access information and which is an amazing thing but there's also i mean I, i know that we're always being hammered on as oh there's disinformation there is a lot of disinformation in the world there's a lot of government disinformation going on in the world and so and there's also micro disinformation from people that are using a scenario to gain the podcast following, right? Oh, I'm going to be the guy to say yeah, the more outrageous thing and get a I bigger know. following. So there's, there's, there is disinformation and there's government disinformation. And it really takes a lot of discernment and a lot of, um, you know, I, when I talk about the organized, you know, entities that are doing this, there's a very clear reason on why children are being harmed when it comes to, um, getting political leaders compromised. It's for intelligence. It's for control. It's for a reason. It right? makes sense. It, but there are cults too. I mean, there's there's governments that do it, and then there's weird cults that are pretty powerful. There's always going to be weird cults that do very weird things. But I'm talking about what's a, what's affecting the numbers when it comes to human trafficking and child that child makes sex. Sense. And so I think that's where you know. Just because something sounds more, you know, sensational, and it doesn't mean we should discredit something because there are insanely sensational things like Epstein Island is a sensational story, right? The idea that that many people were using that for what it was is an outlandish story that does sound far fetched when you first, when everyone first heard that but story, it was everyone was like, yeah, but it was true. It was true. So I'm not saying that sensational always means wrong. I'm just saying. There's always motives to look into. Who's saying it? Why are they saying it? Um, is it to gain a following? Is it really built off of real intelligence? If they give unconfirmed, you know, oh, it's we know like this is happening else. and only I have yeah. the contact for it and no one else has it, but I know it's happening. I think that those are the, the kind of things that we need to be watching out for because 
there is some there is some garnering of narrative going on with certain people that are trying to build narratives and look like they're on the end of a thing and that they're attached to a thing and I have the real intelligence and only I have it. I think that's I think that's the thing to be most aware about. I think some of the people who some good people who were not too happy with the sound of freedom. I I spent a lot of time in the background fighting with not fighting, but arguing in a positive way, you know, us debating, saying, you know, we really need to support the sound of freedom because of the message it's sending. And I was not really in the majority that from the independent space that was really pushing that. And the reason why I push is because I know the message is good. John Paul Rice, another, he was a Hollywood director. And then he got really involved in that. And he too said, Sarah, this is a great message. We need to help them push this. And I'm like, I don't see any problem with pushing messages that are good. And it's the first time we had something big out there in a great way. But the problem that they had with it was that it seemed like it was minimizing the issue. And then the talk around it was to put it back on us, on the culture, which I think we clarified why we why that's happening. And then not pointing fingers at what we just talked about, major government governments and very powerful people being involved. And so people thought that the movie was propaganda in itself redirecting that message away from it i don't believe that is true i've written articles saying i don't believe that's true but they there is a point to that and i think if the message of that movie was that it wouldn't have even gotten to the screen <laughs> onto the screen but there is a point that we don't want to redirect and say this isn't happening at the most powerful levels of our governments it, it is and let me let me try to put this in a framework that I think everyone can relate to in different ways, depending on how they see politics, how they see religion, how they see the world. What I've noticed with this topic is most people are only looking at the problem if it's on the other side of their either political spectrum or in another country or in another area. Almost everyone thinks this is happening somewhere else. So right now, some factions believe this is primarily happening in Hollywood elite celebrity, uh, Hollywood elite superstars, right? Like that that's some people think that's the crux of the issue. Those same people are not seeing what's happening in religious institutions. They're not seeing what's happening in major. Uh, I mean, religious institutions are, are and a lot of them have major problems of systematic abuse and they hire law firms to come in and the law firms end up in interdicting abuse cases so they don't go to law enforcement and they get fed back to the law firm of the church or of the place that that those people are going. This is one of the more systematic ways children are being harmed and no one talks about it. It's, It's just left in the, I mean, because we're so focused on one aspect of it, and I'm not saying not to focus on every aspect, there's real issues in Hollywood. There are real cases of kids being harmed in Hollywood. I mean, Corey Feldman's whole story is, is one of those examples. But I'm saying if we're, if we're only going to look at this topic in a way that's convenient from a political perspective, it's always going to be seen in a political way. And I do think I do think there is a need to be for everyone, regardless of our political stance, to be looking not just at you know what the government's doing. Definitely look at that. But definitely look at what religious institutions are doing and definitely scrutinize the whole power that you know, the power vectors that be are multifaceted. They're not just one government. It's not just one religion. It's not just one 
It's not just one, you know, group in Hollywood. So I think we just need to be a little more even keeled around, you know, around the horn, around the different entities and around the places that we're willing to look and the places we're not willing to look. And I think that is going, for most people, it's going to give them a better sense of vigilance and awareness. And and when people inside, you know, everyone knows the Catholic Church has had major problems. And I'm not trying to highlight them as a different than other churches. There's other churches with major problems, too. But this is an issue for Catholics, in this case, to rise up and say enough is enough. We want transparency. We want to we want to bring this down within our own or within our own camp. Right. This also goes to the family. How many people are abused and the family tries to cover it up? Think about yeah. it. Yep. A lot of times true. people, a lot of times humans default to protecting their brand or their family brand or their religious brand or their organizational brand. And that becomes the priority over simply listening to someone that's saying a, a, a child that's saying something, right? And that's right. And there's a downplaying that happens in our society. And there's a part of our minds that don't want to believe the protest thing that we just heard is true, right? That's also part of it, especially when it hits close to home or hits in our backyard or hits around us. And so I, I think I think this is what's needed right now is we have to be hyper vigilant. We need to be asking all the questions. I'm not telling people not to ask the larger questions of the larger organizations. Keep asking those questions, but maintain your vigilance in your backyard and in your neighborhood and and where your kids go and and where they spend their time. Don't lose sight of that because it's a big factor. And your local towns and cities. My daughter had a class. It was just a great class in high school, but they had a girl come in. She She wasn't a minor. She was a young woman who was trafficked. Because trafficking, and that's one thing that Jimmy Boots taught me, is that most of the prostitution are trafficked women. Uh, they're, they're, it's not what people think it is. But this young girl was, um, young woman, was being trafficked. You get stuck in this network, and then you can't get it. They're going to kill you. She couldn't get out, you know. Yeah. And it was eight times a day, that kind of stuff. And they, she, she said it was people that, everyday people, uh, uh, business people, powerful people in the community, um, wealthy people all over our communities. And I don't think people realize that as well. She finally got out. Her family, they figured out how to get out. She had enough power and influence in her family to get her out safely. A lot of people can't get out. And and so that's another way that I'm saying that it's, it's uh, we have to redefine our understanding of what prostitution is and realizing these people don't want, most of these people don't want to be part of that. Well, I think I think you're right. And I to, to drive this point home, I mean, it was about a month ago, a month and a half ago, we did an operation in a small county uh, in Alabama. And it only took about, I don't know, 24, 48 hours to get about 14 people that wanted to come out and explicitly wanted to come out to have sex with a minor, a very, very underage minor. In a small county in the middle of Apple pie, America, you know, hometown, you know, right there. That's, it's easy to do. It's easy to find this. And I think that's the message. You know, I, there's a lot of people um, trying to focus on the why. And I think that's an important focus. My focus is more on how do we stop this and get these guys, but there is a very big need to finding out the psychological why behind this. 
It's um, a, that's a why group. people think it's a spiritual battle, like some kind of spiritual well, thing of all these people wanting to hurt children. There's definitely, uh, I believe there's definitely a spiritual component to this. And even if you're, if you're spiritual or not spiritual, there's definitely a psychological problem in that's our society right. that is, I think, I think some people are starving themselves of normal sexual appetite and creating new appetites in place of that starvation. I, I think there's all kinds of ways we starve ourselves of normal things. Like we substitute porn for a normal thing. We substitute all kinds of things for the normal experience. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's causing really a, I think there's a number of factors to this. It could be guilt and shame. Someone could feel guilty and shameful for their normal feelings and desires, and they end up acting out in different ways or associating that guilt and shame with the desire. There's a lot of people trying to work on this issue. There's a group called Fight the New Drug that I think is doing a really good job at exposing, not not in a, um, it's not a, it's a group that's using, trying to use psychology and science and exposing how things like pornography are damaging people, but not from a brow beating or like a moral, like you should stop this because it's not from that standpoint. It's from a standpoint of this is harming you. And here's the data on why this is harming you and why it's separating you from normal uh, desires, affection, connection. And it goes into, it's really got, got an amazing team. So that's called a fight the new drug. And I think they're doing a really good job at breaking through barriers for people to have that discussion that maybe only see that discussion within a religious context. Right. Yeah, they, they it's might... not just religious. It's not just, it's, it's a, no, all of it. And it's no. not political. It's not left and right. It's not the Democrat Republican. It's everything. Oh yeah. It's everywhere. If people think that, you know, and I think it's probably more slanted where people on the right think this is a left wing problem in, um, that is that is not the full story here. And it's kind of the same thing, right? When it comes to, you know, everyone talks about, you know, how people are using other countries to send money to and then politicians in the U.S. get kickbacks for that. Like, you know, that game that they played in Haiti where everyone puts their friends on board member uh, on the board seats of companies and we send eight dollars places. Everyone wins. No one's really going to bring that issue up because it's a bipartisan thing. Republicans and Democrats are both doing that, and they're both using crises to enrich themselves. And um, if it, I don't think we're going to see an end to that in any time soon because I don't think any party is going to highlight the other party because no one wants to see that come back as a that's, boomerang on them. That's why we're so, not seeing anything get fixed. If, if yeah. you think that one party is so bad, why do you think all these things aren't fixed? At least if one party was good, we would all know who to vote for. I mean, it just doesn't work I know. that way. And, and I've wanted it to be that. In, in, in the past, I have seen in those paradigms, and I, I had a different perspective than I do now. And I guess it's just my, my life experiences has caused me to see things on both sides that are just incredibly problematic. And so, I, you know, I, I'm not going to carry a flag anymore for one side or the other, whoever I think is going to uphold our constitution and actually enable citizens to live freely and it, whoever that person ends up being i'm gonna do my patriotic duty to back that i don't even know who that is right now even going into this i'm still uh, you know whoever that i think that's gonna be when that time comes i'm gonna i'm gonna do what i feel is right but i don't i don't judge anyone by those decisions because i think most people are making decisions based off of fear I think most people voted for Biden because they were afraid of Trump. And I think most people voted, a lot of people that voted for Trump were afraid of Biden. 
And I don't oh, think, and, 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 and some, some people that, do love Trump. Been, yeah, there's some things that have happened with Biden that really scratch your head, like opening up the borders, stopping the human trafficking, all the executive orders that Trump had when it came to human trafficking from the border that Biden reversed his pull out of Afghanistan. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that Biden has done. Yeah, but what I'm saying is I don't think many people felt um, we're always down to this, well, which which lesser of two evils That's am right. I going to pick this time? That's and right. I think we're, we're not terribly excited. I mean, some people are excited and some people were hugely excited for Trump. I know that. But a lot of people were like, a lot of people saw Trump, even if they didn't like him, as we need a wrecking ball. The reason why Trump won his first, when he first came in he was the wrecking ball. And whether or not you liked him or liked the way he presented himself, he was the guy that was going to shake everything up. And I He's think our everyone, bully. Was, everyone was so fed up with the system that they were like, you know what, we'll hit the panic button and we'll just do this. And we'll play this card. And I think that's I think that just tells you how the psychology of our populace, how 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 over we really are with this kind of two party dictatorship that we have masquerading it's as so democracy. bad. Well, Mitch McConnell not even being able to focus and just sit there. I mean, he's the head of the Senate, Republican Senate. He's a bad guy. I mean, I at very minimum, he's not cognitively there enough to be able to run, be the head of the Senate for the Republicans. Yeah, it it's kind of like we're reliving in multiple ways you know the weekend at bernie's movie where we just have <laughs> tons of politicians that are just seem to be propped up by people barely can walk to where they're going and have to be directed and told what to say and i know that's kind of that's always been the case in some ways but it just seems hilarious like it, it's like we're not even hiding it anymore well, Feinstein, her, my understanding is her daughter has power of attorney for, over her because she can't handle basic stuff, but yet she's a senator making all these decisions. I mean, it's so ludicrous. Yeah, it's um, it it is it is a bizarre um, scenario, and we have a we have an amazing country, and we have a very and this is not the government that our founding fathers and what, what this, the purpose of this experiment was not about this. I mean, all the protective measures to avoid this becoming what it is. And we've seen it come out. I mean, you know, I was very outspoken in the early days of the COVID pandemic and not because I, I, I wanted to be, you know, uh, controversial, but all of these things that we're experiencing, these are crises that are being manufactured. We're going from we're living right now from manufactured crisis to manufactured crisis, and the crises have PR campaigns attached to them, and they're very, very effective PR campaigns, and they are triggering emotions. They are triggering our, you know, either are they're either triggering people to become anti-government or double down on government, right? And it's pushing really, it's really pushing a two-class society in almost every country of people that see the world very differently. But I think the cool part, the, the cool part about that is there's new alignments happening. You know, the people, if you know, do you remember, in, do you remember during like the lockdown season where you had certain friends and everyone just took a different side in things. And I know a lot of people like lost friends and even some people lost relationships with family members. And I, I've heard of couples that got divorced over different views on these things, which all that stuff is negative, but, there's also amazing new connections that people are making 
with people that they probably would have never um, decided to connect with before. Then they might be people of different persuasions of faith or different political. It, there might, there's all kinds of crossover happening right now. And there's a new, I guess, I guess a new thought process that's in certain people's minds that's more concerned about civil liberties, government overreach, than they are around the ancillary threats or the crises that are coming. It's either you're either more scared of the crises or you're more scared of the conglomeration of governments. Well, I guess and I land on the civil liberties, right? And I guess that's where you land. I will always stand for everyone's right to believe whatever they want to believe. I do not believe in conformity of thought. I don't believe in controlling thought. I don't believe in anything like that. So for me, it, everyone's right to say what they want, which includes even sometimes, you know, I was telling you earlier, there's some people saying things that I don't think are true around certain topics on podcasts. I still think they have the right That's to say true. those things. Yep. I, know. <laughs> I don't, I don't <laughs> think they should be shut no. down or someone should tell them because they said something that's I think is unfounded that they should be silenced. Everyone has the right to say what they want to say unless they're harm harming someone. Everyone has the right to do that. And I think that's it. If we lose that, we've lost the entire spirit of this whole experiment. But but OK, so now there people are being manipulated to be scared to be against that. It's almost like they're doing that on purpose to get people to give up their their want of freedom. How do we reeducate people or reshow them that? That this is unfounded fears and that your civil liberties and your want for freedom is more important than having these psychopaths come in and try to control you. Well, we have to fight. We have to fight for it. We have to be very vocal about it. And even for the people that aren't in in the camp yet, necessarily, they, they don't see it the way we see it. What they don't realize is we're actually fighting for their future rights as well. That's right. We're fighting and, for and, them. And, and I know they don't see it that way. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm not trying to persuade someone to see it my way right now. I hope more people will start seeing that there is definitely a consolidation going, not just in governments, but a consolidation of world powers, a consolidation of resources, a consolidation happening that is going to shrink the amount of world rulers. It's going to give more autonomy to large institutions that have no elected representation. Uh, Europe is going through this right now. They're, the World Health Organization wants to have more power over European countries and able to dictate national policies. And Europeans are now starting to see that that is not something in their interest. I think the the one positive thing is that humans can be pushed a certain to a certain level, but there's a certain tipping point where more people start to um, ask those hard questions that, than, than what this... Uh, whatever this you want to call this oligarchy expects. So I think the, the thing that has to happen is we have to continue to have a transformation, uh, a spiritual transformation, understanding our purpose. We have to be able to connect with people, even if they don't agree with us and make a better argument and maybe not even need to make an argument, just be there for them, whether they agree with us or not and play the long game because the more people that decide to start asking a question, you know, maybe maybe they're scared to ask it. Maybe they don't want to believe that their government could do something harmful to its own people. I've long since dealt with that. Right. I that does not bother me. Right. To me, that is normal. So for some people, that's a thing that if they embrace that, their whole stability of life becomes unraveled and they're an unglued person. Right. The moment they that that's the fear in their mind. Right. Right. 
their whole stability is gone. So it's not an easy thing for people. And I think we just need to have patience with people. We need to keep, you know, being there for people, even if we disagree with them. We don't need to condemn people for what they chose to do medically or didn't do medically. You know, it, I don't think any, regardless of my views on how the pandemic was orchestrated and, and, and carried out and the PR of it that was carried out, I still think everyone has a right to make their own decision medical decisions that goes for people that want with to do a thing consent if they with, get the yeah. informed consent which that to me is one thing they're not getting but yes keep going no i mean and that's you know look there's going to be there's going to be things that happen i don't know how long it's going to take but you know you cannot you cannot coerce a population into anything experimental not when there's alternative treatments Right. I mean, the law is that you can't do that, but keep going. That's where Dr. A lot of people, Dr. Zelenko, who's, who was my business partner, I started Z Labs with him. And he was, he was probably my best friend, I'd have to say. Um, we only knew each other for three years, but we knew each other so well by the end of that. We would stay up talking until three or four o'clock. And Dr. Zelenko, was the most ferocious physician that knew how to treat RNA viruses. He had the published papers. He knew exactly how to do it. NIH knew how to do it because it was they off of their service. They all knew service. how to do it. They had stuff. This was, a, this was an original document from 2010, published by Ralph Barrett, published by the guy who first created the synthetic coronavirus patent and patented it at UNC Chapel Hill. That guy created the way to treat RNA viruses, and it's using zinc, and it's using uh, an enabler to zinc, which is something that can carry zinc through the cell, which is either hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. In our case, we use quercetin. You can also use EGCG, but this is it, this is easy. This is something that is so simple. It's so well known. It was done in many other countries. Dr. Zelenko treated heads of state of numerous other countries. There are certain countries where he treated their entire hospital system and their whole doctor staff, like 2,000 doctors, he trained how to do this. They flatlined COVID. They but had here no it was a conspiracy real... theory. <laughs> yeah. And then I mean, Joe Rogan goes out. Joe Rogan talks about it. And then they do a hit piece on Joe Rogan. And whoever talks about it becomes, you know, the, the whole point is to brand that person now as a, a far-right wing conspirator. How do you person. not? Yeah, I mean, it's just ridiculous because you don't believe in a, one view on healthcare. Now you're a far-right nut, nut job. Same with fighting human trafficking. You're a far-right far nut job for being, it's like, well, wait a minute. I never really thought, saw myself that way. But how does that not make you angry? You know, how do you have, you're just like, you're killing people and you're, suppressing people who are trying to save lives. How does that not make you angry? Well, it does. It makes me furious. It, it, it It's hard because it puts you in, it, it's also tough as a person because, you know, you can either stay silent about these things and have an easier life and kind of maintain your, your existing friend status relationship, your inner circle, or you can try to help people, but that help is not always going to be seen as help. It might, you know, you're going to be looked at a different way because all of these other narratives are out there. It's going to get lumped in with that bizarre narrative. And that's honestly the, the most difficult part uh, personally about this is you have to be willing to use facts and, and try to have, you know, dialogue with people that, you know, are willing to have the dialogue. Some people aren't willing to have a dialogue about any of the facts. 
Well, no they cares. think they have their their facts. Their facts came from the government propaganda, and they know better. They know, and you're the ignorant one. Right. And now what they don't know, and this is where there's kind of selective facts, is almost every modern country, especially highly vaccinated country, is now has a surging all-cause mortality. That's right. And the leading causes are, are heart issues and cancers. Yeah. And... Wow. And right, the irony, though, is right now, right now, we actually have a much bigger problem than we ever had during the years of COVID, technically, from an all-cause mortality standpoint. And no one even really knows it. And you remember how we felt. I know. It's so, it's so ironic that during, you know, we were living such a bizarre life back then. We were, some people weren't going outside. Some people were staying in their car and, and wearing a mask inside their car. Some people still are today. And I don't want to you know, ridicule people. And, and I do think masks are, very they're very, masks are definitely effective when they're worn, when you're worn, when they're worn inside of your car alone, they actually work in that scenario. So that's at least. The only least, thing I always try to give people a benefit of the doubt, because I know I, I went to China right before COVID and I got all these masks and stuff. It does work for pollution and it works for allergies and pollen and certain, it doesn't work for COVID. <laughs> But it's it's kind of funny because I was in New York when all the smoke was coming into New York City. And there was it's funny because there was this a lot of people had this aversion. It, it, that was actually a proper moment to maybe wear a mask. <laughs> now, there, it, for certain situations. It, yeah. Yeah. And and everyone was so like over it. They're like, oh, no, we don't need that. It was It's funny because when they when they didn't need it, they wanted it. And now when it actually kind of makes a little bit of sense that no one cares, it's, it's, it's bizarre. We're living in kind of the upside down right now. It's, it's almost like I turn on the news and I don't watch the news as if I'm getting news. I don't think it's actually news. It's not, um, you got to turn I it off. So it doesn't destroy your brain. I just watch it to try to interpret the narrative. What is the news story? How is it being, you know, how but is you're this aware. being? Yeah. But it, but this is not real. None none of the things we're watching are real, real news. It, but and, the uh, important thing is that you're aware while you're watching it. Because if you're not aware, then I think it corrodes your thinking and your ability. You have to be aware and realize what you're watching is propaganda. Absolutely, a lot of history is propaganda. <laughs> a lot of I mean, yes. I mean, yes. Think about that. Think about even the way we interpret our own human existence in history. I mean. I still That's think right. we, we're still finding out what I, I think we know very little about our past as well as where we're going. You know, I think I do think this is a time for us all to be thinking outside the box. I'm not trying to any of my earlier statements. I, I totally believe in um, listening to all ideas and listening to everything, even if it sounds far fetched. But I think there's there's certain things that you can kind of hang your hat on. And there's certain things like Epstein, Epstein's a great example. That happened. That was a thing. No one is now disputing that that was a thing. And there was a time when everyone was saying it was a conspiracy theory. That was a thing. And so, and there's things you can hang your hat on. There's things that you may not want to hang your hat on. And I, I, think, <laughs> I, think, I think the more we can stick to the hard facts and really it's, it's an, that's an eye-opening thing in itself. If more people simply contemplated what that means and how many world leaders were being um, basically honeypotted into, you know, 
a scenario where they're controlled and manipulated. I mean, that is insane. And the fact that that is real needs to make everyone pause, even if they're concerned about the conspiratorial narratives around, you know, circulating in other areas that may be provable, maybe not. There is a real narrative. There is a real verifiable narrative that we need to get to the bottom of. Well, before I let you go here, I, you and Dr. Zelenko were really good buddies. You started that the Z Labs together. And I have to talk about the fact that a certain percentage, 5%, I think, of the products that are sold go to rescuing children and rescuing activities. And talk about that a little bit and what it goes to do, because I think that if you're buying, I think it's the vitamins, the gummies, the vitamins for kids, the products for kids. If you're buying that elsewhere, consider maybe buying it from Zelenko because you know, 5% goes to actually help rescue children and talk about how much of that percentage directly goes versus administrative or, you know, you guys actually spend all that money to do it, right? We do. And my uh, my team, our guys with uh, our nonprofit are the ones. And this is the case I was telling you about a month ago um, that in that case, we were working with another group called Covenant Rescue Group, our partner group that we were working with at the time. And we love those guys. We want to work with them again. We work with all other nonprofits as well. But what our guys do is we go in and teach law enforcement how to do this, how to find them and how to do this in a way that is prosecutable and how to get convictions. And we work with law enforcement around the country and internationally. And it's very easy to do. That's the sad part. The good part is it's effective and it actually helps show people how close to home these issues are. So that's what we do. We all, you know, there, we all of our finances go towards operations, go towards the veterans that run the organization and the operations itself. So we're a very low key group. We don't really. This was actually one of the biggest reasons why Dr. Zelenko wanted me to be a partner. He wanted to build something that could actually fund these types of missions long term. This was part of our early discussions in life. So to me, I'm very happy that we're actually doing this and that we're connecting these two worlds together. And yeah, I mean, our Z kids, so our Z kids gummies are amazing. That. And I, I actually I sneak the Z kids gummies in all the time. I, I steal them from my kids. all the time. <laughs> but, you just have um, to take more of them, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I have, to take like five. I have to take like five of them or six of them or something for an adult. But um, but for kids, I mean, you know, here's the the real deal here is kids are not in a, in a very high threat category. Right. So this is not about ZSAC was never about creating or, or placating yes. off of the yes. campaign. Right. That is yes. something that we will not do. Everything that we believe in. And, and, and number one, this was almost a company that should have never got started. And why I say that is Dr. Zelenko, before we started ZStack, was open sourcing all of this information. He was telling everyone, go to the vitamin shop, get this, this, and this. And then eventually he was like, you know what? The word's not getting out. Let's just build something and let's put it all together. Let's formulate it the right way. Let's get a better cost for good, really, really good products so people aren't getting scammed by their supplement products. Let's actually create something so that people can trust that's how it started. But it didn't start as like a business idea. It was very much almost like a knee jerk reaction by Dr. Zelenko of we need to get this word out. We need a machine to get the word out of this treatment more effectively. That was the impulse for why this all started. 
Yeah, and I, so I remember really, I reached out to him before he was even. I said, "You have to turn this into a supplement. Just do, and I'll sell it for you." I I talked to him before. I think I was the first one that sold it because. <laughs> so I reached out to him while you guys were doing all that and saying the same thing. Yeah, and and, and you may you may have been the you may have been the push that he needed to actually call me up and say, "Dave, it's time to start this." Like that may have been you. Um, because him and I were talking about this for a while. And, and honestly, I told, I told Zev, I was like, you know, I'll help you, whatever you need. I was trying to connect him with people, trying to, you know, get him in with all the different media elements and stuff like that. So I was helping him regardless. I was like, I don't care. We're going to make this happen. I wanted this to go everywhere. And then, um, a few months later he said, Dave, I want you to run it. I want you to be the CEO and start this with me. And so I humbly accepted, um, and it, it obviously had struck a chord with people. It resonated with people. That's right. And, and it's, and people have, I mean, the testimonials are the biggest thing. I mean, we, I mean, if, if you're a kid and you're having any type of RNA virus, you're, you're talking about vastly shortening the duration in most cases. I mean, there's, there's a lot of uh, scientific studies that show if you get enough zinc inside the cell membrane, and I'm not a doctor, I just listen to a lot of interesting doctors, and so I, I glean off of them. But if you get enough zinc inside of your cell, it inhibits RNA-dependent RNA polymerase, and it basically inhibits viral replica replication, right? So if you get it in early, if you, in the first three days of onset of symptoms, you have, according to numerous studies, over 85% chance of avoiding hospitalization, even in the higher risk categories, even in the elderly people. So it's, it's very simple. Everyone should be, if you're not taking vitamin C and, you know, get as much sunlight as possible. I mean, vitamin D deficiency is a major reason for why, you know, RNA viruses are so rampant in the winter. Um, we would love to be the company you choose, but whatever you do, you know, protect yourself. Don't give in to fear. Your own immune system can fight, can learn, can adapt. And that's what we believe in. And we believe in the powers that were given to us by our creator to, to defend ourselves. Well, I want to circle back to the kid stuff because and the tra human trafficking, because I almost got the chills when you, you know, you said, because that's such, such an important thing for me. And the fact that Zelenko, you guys were doing that together. I'm like, okay, this, this was meant to be for me to be with help you guys in this organization, because to me, that is such a powerful thing that you're, you're, you're taking a percentage of your profits and putting your action and your money, your profits where your action is. But now the the gummies are aren't for like you said this isn't for fear it's not for it's just to keep kids healthy so they can grow and be strong right and so they have less a chance being sick later for everything. It's gonna yeah it's about getting kids back to school quicker, stopping you know transmission over time. If more people do this, they'll they'll limit the amount of uh, transmission that they can do over with other people, and being resilient you know and and. Every time we go through a wave like this, our body is figuring out how to fight. You know, we're constantly getting stronger. No matter what humans try to do to harm the human body, we're always getting stronger. And we believe in that. And there are things we can do to give ourselves advantages. Being healthy is being an advantage, you know, like just very basic things. We can all be working to be more healthy. We can all be working to be more resilient. I think the more resilient we are as a population, 
population, the more prepared we're going to be for the coming days. And resiliency is going to be the X factor in That's how right. we go forward. We, That's we, how they're planning stuff. And so we have to be ready. I agree. I mean, it just is what it is. And we've talked about that. Okay. Where can people follow you or learn more? I don't think you have that big of a media presence. You just came and did an interview with me and you've done a few interviews, but in general, you don't have a good media. Where can people follow you or learn more about, at least maybe give us some website that you set websites you want people to learn more about. Yeah. I I'm not very public. Uh, I, ve I very rarely do podcasts or anything like that. Um, I really appreciate you having me on It's because of your relationship with both Dr. Zelenko and Paul Hutchinson that I wanted to talk with you and I respect you as a person. Um, I would I would direct people to um, ZStack Life and to MissionSafeHarbor.com. MissionSafeHarbor and Harbor is spelled um, H-A-B-O-U-R. Okay. Okay. .com. I'll put a link and so, below. And those are, you know, one is our nonprofit and you can kind of see um, we have a little bit of information there showing what we do, how we do it. We actually have some video footage of some of the things that we've done in the past. You can kind of see what we've done. And if that's something you want to be a part of, if you want to be a part of the Z-Stack team, if you want to get behind those products, uh, the, the Z-Stack gummies for kids are amazing. My kids just gobble them up and they don't, you know, they don't always tolerate everything I try to give them. So we wanted to make sure it was something <laughs> that kids would actually consume. Do they sneak them you know? as candy? I remember when I was a kid, I would sneak certain things as candy because I thought they tasted good. They, they like, do try to sneak them. That's good for you, Sarah. They do try to sneak them and we're trying to like, wait, you're only supposed to have this much. So, you know, so we try to <laughs> make sure we limit that. But no, I mean, yeah. we, we want to keep doing this work and we're going to keep funding this work and keep making it happen. And if you want to partner with that, we'd love to have you on the team. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I so appreciate everything that you're doing and I just hope people support you. I think that's important. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.